turn with me to Gospel of John, chapter 15. We'll be right there. You know, as you're turning there, let me just share. This has been a this has been an emotional weekend for Valeria and I, um, and and you're a part of it because you've been a part of our lives in so many ways. But Friday was a year ago that I had my heart surgery, and uh, this day, two days later, on the twelfth, was when uh, I found out that my left lung had collapsed, and my right lung was filling with fluid. I found that out because I got up and went for a walk and I couldn't get anywhere. It was a, as tense a time as it was on the day of the surgery itself. But God has been so very, very, very faithful. You have been so incredible with your prayers and all your concerns. And singing about new wine and new strength and new power, uh, that's what the Lord has given me, a brand new lease on life. And you have been such an integral part of that. Let me just thank you for how God has used you in such a wonderful way. And if I may, let me lead us in a moment of prayer. Father God, I love my church. I love my people. Lord, this has been such a, a, an emotional time for us. This has been the toughest year I can remember. We've had major losses. We've had a lot of things in my family, but this one hit so very close to home. <clears throat> but Lord, you were faithful with wonderful doctors and nurses, but mostly you were faithful with the prayers of your people. And Lord, I just thank you again for the family of God you've given me and the joy it is for Valeria and I to serve them this tremendous ministerial team and support staff that is my family and in so many ways my life. Lord, thank you. Now take us to your word. Take us deep to your heart. We just want to experience you afresh and in you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to a time of new things. We're at pretty much the same old time, but we're in kind of a new place. Now you're faced with a daunting task. Where do I sit on a regular basis? <laughs> Got to find your way around. I know, you know, in this new place and such. But I'm telling you, from up here, you're looking mighty good. Uh, it's good to see what the Lord is going to be doing. With all this new stuff going on, we've got our new paradigm we're working here. And boy, I had a blast during our fellowship time. I hope you did as well as we got to, to meet new people and to, uh, get to get to know some folks a little better. By the way, we're going to be doing some things in those fellowship times in the days to come that are going to be really fun and it's going to help you to get to know one another even better. But enough for that later. But our new paradigm is here. Our Wednesday night uh, suppers is back and that's really been great for some of you with families because you've got a place you can come, you can feed the kids and off they go to all the different things that they enjoy doing. But then there's FBU. What's that? We'll tell you later. It's, it's one, been one of the best Cape secrets and one of the most phenomenal things. We can't wait to I'm, I'm just open that up before you. That's coming real soon too and you're going to see more about it. You're going to have, as we get to February, you're going to get to partake in that, if you will. So many new things going on. One of the things I felt we need to do is reach back and pick up something that we didn't finish. Uh, last year when I got to be back in the pulpit, we started looking at what was called the upper room discourse. This was the, the last night that Jesus had with his disciples, okay? And he knew that he was going to be arrested and killed. He knew that he was going to give his life for each and every one of us. He knew this was coming. But even though he had been sharing this with the disciples for a while, they didn't get it, okay? 
And that's not surprising. It takes us hearing a lot of things several times before we get it to. So they, they didn't exactly get it. So this night, he's trying in every way he can to prepare them. He's telling them, very soon I'm, gonna, I'm going away. And, and I, I need you to prepare your hearts. And he told them about that, that though he was going to come, he was going to send another comforter, one exactly like himself, that was going to come and not only just be with them, but be inside of them, be with them. And all of these things were really confusing. So Jesus, as we get to, to the end of the 14th chapter, he's trying to, to do all of these things to encourage them. We're going to pick up where we left off at chapter 15 and verse 1. If you'll go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. This is where we left off. We want to go back here and pick up and see what did Jesus do next. What he did was open up a, a, a symbol, uh, an analogy that is so precious. I want to tell you the words in this chapter has transformed my life. It's meant so much to those of us who have walked through discipleship together. It's been transformational. And so we want to begin to introduce you to some of those things here today. So if you'll read with me from the Gospel of John chapter 15 and verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 5 to get the setting, though I don't think I'm going to get much out of verse 1 today. Jesus is speaking. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. You're going to get to really learn that word real well. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Father God, I want to thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words. And Holy Spirit, you, you marvelously, miraculously worked in John's mind to where not a single word would be lost. But you enabled him to put down each and every word just like Jesus said it. And it's now preserved for us here today after all of these thousands of years. You've hovered over this word and you've watched this word and you've protected this word because right here today, we need to hear this word. So we want to open our heart to you as you open your heart to us that transformation might take place. In the name of the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, do we make our prayer. Amen. You know, this whole concept of a vine was very, very familiar to the people in Jesus' day. This was part of their productivity. This was part of their livelihood. This is, you know, the grapevines and the making of wine. This is something that was very much a part of the economic uh, basis of Israel. And even today, it remains that way. So no matter who you were, you at least knew something about vines and vine dressers and branches and grapes and all of this kind of stuff. So as Jesus was talking, he was talking to people with a common analogy, one that they would totally get, all right, but now, you and I, we don't live around grapevines that much. We don't understand a whole lot of that what's going on, even though they did. So we're going to have to break this down, you know, to us. The Jews there knew that the grapevines, if you just left them alone, they would produce all kinds of shoots, all kinds of branches filled with leaves, 
and be beautifully lush and green would not produce hardly any grapes. They knew that. And, and so they knew that the vine dresser had to do some very specific things at specific times to cut back on just the foliage growth and, and get there to be production of these luscious uh, grapes. And so he, he knew about that. They all knew, all the Jews knew, that after harvest season, these grapevines had to be pruned back radically. I mean, to the point that you'd look at it and say, this is a stick, can it grow? I mean, this is how radically, and they knew this. They knew that about vines. They also knew that if there was a vine or a branch that didn't produce any fruit, it had to be lopped off because it was drawing nutrients out of the vine that was keeping the rest of the branches from really producing. They understood this. They understood that these fruitful branches had to be trimmed along to make sure that they were still producing a great deal of fruit. Who knew there was so much to this? But those in Jesus' day understood this. This was common knowledge, okay? So for us, we're not around grapevines that much, but let me tell you what we are around a lot here in the South. We're around tomato plants. And some of you are famous for your tomato plants. I know because I benefit from them, okay? <laughs> when you've had all of them you can handle, you bring some to me. Tomato plants, I, I, listen, I am not an agriculturist. I am not the one you want messing with your plants. If you want somebody to come over and take care of your plants while you're gone, don't call me, all right? I'll kill it. But I did decide to try my hand at tomato plants one time. I did. So I bought a mess of them and such and planted them, and I was so proud of those things. They were about four foot tall. Man, they were about this big around. I said, man, I got this thing down pat. <laughs> I had leaves, but I didn't have no maters. There wasn't hardly any tomatoes on there, and those that were there weren't hardly worth eating. And, and so, you know, I began to complain to some of you, you know, that, that have all this knowledge about this. You say, well, Fred, you know, did you, did you strip off all the lower leaves and plant it deep? Did you pinch off the suckers? Did you do this? And I said, huh? And there's all these things that you have to know about growing tomato plants if you really want to have good tomatoes off of those and so all of these things this first one was telling me this the other one doing this and, and and when the person got to say you know you need to go to the farmer's almanac I knew I was in way over my head and so I, I did you know did what I could look my, my wife grows whatever she wants I mean she can take a stick put it in the ground and grow it all right that's that's just just her not me I dig holes, I cut grass, you know, exactly the way she tells me to. That's, that's, that's what I do. If you want it to live, don't give it to me. I'm convinced I could kill kudzu, all right? You just don't want me to be in charge of your plans. Well, but you, many of you know how to do this, and you do it very well. You know the, the science that comes down to it. You are a vine dresser of your tomato plants. You, you know what to do. In, in Israel, vine dressers were trained for years under a master. They would go through all of these, uh, these, uh, these things that they would do, and they would be taught not only uh, what to cut, but where to cut, and even at what angle to make the cut. All of these things that, you know, I don't know anything about that. But that's part of what we find out when we begin to study and dig deep into what this means about Jesus being the vine his father being the vine dresser, and us being the branches. That's all I want to talk about today is the three, the three main characters that's going to be in this entire study as we look through the Gospel of John. This is going to set the stage. 
a lot of things I'm just going to touch on briefly today we're really going to dig into next week and the next week as, as God just opens up to us how to live in an intimate union with the Lord Jesus Christ. But for right now, we want to start where Jesus started. He said, look at verse 15, verse 1. At chapter 15, verse 1. He said, I am the true vine. Let's stop at true for just a little bit. I am the true vine. There's a lot of imitations, okay? There's a lot of imitations of Christ. There's a lot of false religions that are out there in the world that beckon your attention. And that was true even in Jesus' day. And even among the Jews who practiced uh, Judaism, he wanted them to know, I am the true vine. I'm the real one of which all others are just imitations. I'm, I'm the true vine. But when he says, I am the vine, he is using an analogy. I want you to see a little something. Guys, put that first picture up on the overhead for me, with you, please. All right. This is, uh, you got that? Got yeah, there it is. This is in Hampton Court near London, England. All right. And this is a grapevine. It's over here, see over here, the big, the big tree, like that's, that's the vine right there. This is over a thousand years old. That's amazing, okay? It's over a thousand years old. And everything you see in this picture, all of the clusters of grape, all of this grows off of that one vine, that one vine. Some of the roots are two foot thick. It's amazing. And some of these branches go down the trellises as far as 200 feet. 200 feet. And yet, what's, the grapes that are produced on the far end are just as luscious and, and scrumptious as those right up next to the vine. So I want you just kind of have this in mind. When Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, that we're talking about the vine, the true vine, the one that each and every one of us have grown from spiritually. We have been grafted in to him, and this is what we've grown from. So I want you to keep this picture kind of close in mind. Life flows from the vine. Life flows from the root, way down deep in the ground here. All the nutrients, everything flows up through those roots to the vine, and then it makes their way throughout all of those branches all over the place. And now there's a vine dresser here. He's part of the royal court of England. How about that? Because this is, this is where the queen gets her juice, all right? And, and he has been at this most of his life. His father was the vine dresser and trained him. His grandfather trained his father. You see where I'm going with this? This is something that has, has been in the family. Because you don't just mess around with just with the queen's vineyard here. And this is not all of it. This is just one particular part of it. So I want you to keep that in mind. He says, I am the true vine. I'm the original. And what he was going to talk about here is a union. A union. A union between the branch and the vine. That union. This is what's important. We're going to talk a great deal about that, especially in the next couple of weeks, but we're going to just touch on it here today. I want to just tell you this. It's a living union. The branch draws its life from the vine. It's a living union. It's a loving union because this vine dresser loves the vine. Who's the vine? It's his son, Jesus Christ. He loves the vine, and so he loves all of the branches grafted into the vine. It's a loving union, but it's also a lasting union. Because this union is unto eternal life. 
That's the sermon all by itself. That's the one I'm not going to preach. Aren't you glad? Okay. Here's the key I want you to get today. This is the key question. It's right there in your notes. I want you to look at it. Are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to Jesus Christ? So, Brother Fred, I'm not really sure. How, how, do, you, how do you know if you're connected? We're going to talk about that. But let me put it in real clear English. Do you draw your life's essence from Jesus Christ? Or is he just some other part of your life? Just, just, just some part of your life. He's just like work's a part of your life and your favorite hobby's a part of your life and whatever. He's just a part of your life. You're not drawing your life's essence from him. You know about him, but I question if you really know him. And if he's making transformation in your life, okay? Because that's what happened. When Christ, who is our life, is flowing through us, our lives are different, folks. They're not like anything else here in the world. Are you connected to the vine? We're going to talk about how that happens a little later. But that's our key thought. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life, your heart to him? This is crucial. If you haven't, a lot of this is not going to make a lot of sense. But there are going to be things I'm going to share in the course of the next couple of weeks that are scary. They're frightening. I'll go and tell you now they are. Because Jesus is going to talk about those branches that are not connected to him and their eternal fate. That's coming. We'll deal with that right now. Here's the thing. The choice is yours. You can choose whether to be grafted into the vine that is Jesus Christ or not. To be grafted in with him means that you receive his life, his eternal life. And he radically transforms your life because you belong to him. You can also choose not to be connected with him. You can choose to do life without him. And you can choose any of the other substitutes that are out there, but none of them will produce the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. This is the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. Look at what else he says. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. Almighty God is the one who cares for the vine and the vine's branches. I want you to hold on to this. Almighty God is the vine dresser. He is the one who is intimately involved because he is one with the vine, Christ. He's intimately involved with every branch that comes off of that vine. And so whatever he does for the vine, he does for the branches. Whatever he does for the branches, he does for the vine. Because he loves his son, and you are in him. He is so incredibly engaged in who you are and what's going on in your life. That's the kind. See, God's not interested in just this casual kind of whatever kind of thing that some people do just going and doing church, okay? And if doing church is all you're about, I want to tell you something. I'm glad you're here, but there's more. There's a lot, lot more than that. He said, I, my father is the vine dresser. All the decisions, everything he does for the vine, he does for the branches because he loves his son. Now, as we read through this, we're going to see about fruit and fruit that's produced uh, by, by the branches because they're abiding in the vine. You're going to see there's no fruit, and then there's fruit, and then there's more fruit, and then there's much fruit. We're going to develop that as we go on through the chapter. Many of us as believers, we want to be fruitful Christians. 
okay? We, we want to produce fruit in our lives. But what we are, are anxious about sometimes is this pruning process. We're going to get into that real deep. Don't worry about that right now. We'll get into that real deep next week. But let me tell you something. Because God loves you, because God loves you, He has got to prune your life. He's got to be doing things that will rattle you from time to time. Listen, the greatest judgment God could ever pass on you and I is to step back and leave us alone. Yeah. Because if he did that, we would run amok. We would. We will. Okay? So the greatest judgment he could pass on us is just to leave us alone. Quite to the contrary, he loves us so much, he's going to be engaged in our lives. And we're going to see some of the ways that he brings productivity as well as pruning into our lives. How does the Father prune us? Well, sometimes he simply uses the word to do that. Have you ever been reading along in the scriptures and all of a sudden you, you see something, the Holy Spirit says, this is for you, pay attention. And what is he telling you? This, this is a, a character I want to work into your life. Uh, this is a virtue I want to work into your life. Or he may be saying, here is something in your life that is against my character and we need to remove this. This is something that needs to, to come out of your life. It's sapping all your strength, but it's not producing godly fruit. Sometimes you can just read the word and Holy Spirit will just speak to you and you'll say, Oh, all right. So, and you'll go to your knees. You say, God, how do you want to deal with this? What, what must I do for you to deal with this? How do I need to surrender to you? Or what do I need to stay, start new in life? Or Sometimes God just simply uses his word. His word is powerful. And that's why we encourage you day in and day out, get into the word. Devotional reading is great, but it's no substitute for the Bible. Get into the Bible. Get into the Word of God. Read a book at a time or follow a theme study. There's all, but no substitute for the Word. God many times will just speak through His Word to your heart. And right away, many times with very little pain or suffering, <laughs> change happens. Sometimes He has to do some, <clears throat> some pruning through what the Bible calls chastening. Another word for that is disciplining. Sometimes when something is going on in our lives that's really breaking his heart, he may bring us to the end of ourselves. He may just bring us to the end of ourselves. He might expose that thing, whatever it was. Or, or, or there's other ways he can deal with it. But sometimes what God's wanting to do, he's trying to call our attention to something, even by the discipline he has to bring into our lives. I, I never liked discipline when I was a kid. I mean, there, there is a universal sound that causes all kids to shake, and it's the sound of a belt coming out of belt loops. You know that, some of you know that sound, because I heard you laugh. <laughs> you know that sound. That means discipline is about to happen, okay? And, you know, and, and if your mom or daddy ever said, now, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I know what you were thinking, because it's what I was thinking. You lay down and let me whoop on you and see if it hurts you as bad as it hurts me. I remember one day Michael, he was, a li the, he was the middle child, but also the littlest of the three. And he had done something. I don't know what he had done. And I said, okay, son, go upstairs. I'll be there in just a minute. And so he, he, he went upstairs to prepare himself and such. I came up a few minutes later, you know, and it's, it's important for a parent sometimes to get the mat off, you know, before you deal with the child. So when he lay down on the bed and I whopped him a few times, went on about the, you know, told him not to do that anymore. 
I thought something was strange about that. But anyway, a little later, went back upstairs just to check on him. He and Chris were up there talking. Michael had put on every pair of underwear that he owns and that Chris owned. I mean, I must have been paddling through a good inch, inch and a half of drawers, okay? <laughs> None of us like to be corrected. None of us like discipline. But it's imperative. The most mean thing that you and I could do for our children or grandchildren is not to discipline them. That's the meanest thing we can do. So sometimes God prunes us through discipline, and we'll look at that a little later. Sometimes he disciplines us through physical difficulties. And I think I, I shared that with some of you at least. That's part of what went on when I had my heart surgery. I, I spent the last several years here just in, enjoying life, enjoying you and enjoying loving you and walk, doing life with you and all of this kind of stuff. You, you, you're, you're, just, you're just the greatest folks. You're just the greatest folks. But laying there in that long convalescence, the Lord said, Fred, you've lost your first love. Your first love was winning people to faith in Jesus Christ and seeing them grow up in their faith. And you're, you're doing a great job of loving the saints. You're doing a great job of, of, of discipling them, helping them growing. But you're not producing the fruit of new converts. You're not constantly aware of lost people around you. You're not constantly praying for the lost that are around you. You're, you're not engaging them, sharing your story and sharing your testimony. And let me tell you, that hurt worse than surgery. I'm serious. Because I had to step back and as Holy Spirit would look at my ministry. And he would say, you're doing so many things right, but here's something that you're missing. You're not telling people of Union County how much I love them and what I did in Christ to win them to myself and so when I came back got my strength enough to get back in the pulpit and started getting back with our, our ministers I started sharing that with them and how God had been disciplining me even, even through that very difficult physical time that I had had and how I had to get my act together I had to get my priorities back straight and they all jumped and said yes that's what we need to do too and out of that is what all of the stuff we're doing now has grown out of that time sometimes God brings change in our lives through physical problems or financial problems or relational problems see God's not God's not limited as to how he can do this but the vine dresser loves his vine. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loves everyone who's grafted into that vine. That's us. And because he loves us, the worst thing he could do is leave us alone. What he's got to do is be engaged in our lives. So that's the vine and the vine dresser. Now the third is us. It's the branches. Okay? Now we, we, don't, we just see branches mentioned in verse 2, but he's very clear there in verse 5. You see what he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Kind of hard to mistake that in it, okay? Now he was speaking especially to those who were in the upper room with him that shared that last supper. But as he goes on with this conversation, he says, you know, not only are those are the ones I'm praying for, but all of those that are going to come to faith in me because of these people here. And that's us. Those who are believers, those who are Christians, those who have surrendered their lives to Christ, these are the branches, abundantly clear. Now, there's a couple of things about branches I want you to see real quickly before we kind of wrap up this introduction. First of all is this. 
branches by themselves are weak. They're weak, all right? And if you've, if, if you've worked uh, with your tomato vines, but I can tell you specifically, you know, with, with grapes, what the vine dresser will do, when that branch gets long enough, he will intertwine it into the trellis or into some other woodwork or into some wires or into some, ro some ropes that he's got. He'll wind them around there because, here, look, the branch can't support its own weight without help. Okay? And especially when it starts growing these big clusters of grapes, it can't support its weight and fall right to the ground. Left alone, these branches will fall to the ground. They'll get walked on. They'll get dirty. So one of the things the vine dresser does, he comes by, and if there's one on the ground, he, he bends down, he lifts it up. He cleans it up. And then what's he do? He wraps it into the trellis. Because then it can be productive. Then it can grow. So he's constantly weaving throughout the whole vineyard, constantly weaving the branches into the trellis, into the support system. So as it continues to grow, it'll have support. Folks, you and I are too weak to do life without Jesus. The vine dresser has got to weave us into Christ, weave us into the church, weave us into godly families and godly relationships because he knows we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to even make it in life, let alone be productive. This is why church is so important, folks. May I go so far as to say this is why church membership is so very important because we, we weave our lives together and we support one another. We encourage one another. We read from the church covenant last week all those wonderful one another's we do in family. We do in unity with one another. Why? Because left alone, we're going to fall to the dirt and be trampled on and not be productive. So the vine dresser, because he loves the vine, Jesus, and loves those who are in the vine, you and I, he's always picking us up and putting us into the trellis, putting us into the woodwork to where we can be strong. And not only does he do that, here's what you need to understand. The branch cannot produce fruit by itself. The branch cannot produce fruit by itself. Okay? You take one of those, one of those branches off of your tomato plant and you see that tomato out there beginning to bud and all real pretty. You lop that thing off and throw it over in the corner is that tomato going to grow? No. It's going to get stinking after a while, but it's not going to grow. No, no. Not at all. We have to stay in this close union with Jesus if we're going to be able to grow and if we're going to produce anything. You and I cannot produce true fruit unless we're in the true vine. That's just, that's just absolute what the Word tells us here. So here's the word I want you to get to know. You're going to hear this over and over again. If you have a conversation with any of your ministers, you're going to hear this word over and over again. It's the word abide. Abide. Your, your Bible may say uh, 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 continue in or remain in. It's the same word. It's the word meno in the Greek, and it's a little word like the little fish is, spelled differently, but it's pronounced the same. Meno, to abide. And, and for right now, we're going to really dig deep into this, but for right now, it means to so live in union with Jesus that Jesus can be himself through you and then produce what he wants to produce through you. That you're living in that vital union with him. This is imperative. Can I give you a little illustration <clears throat> and to drive this home? 
I'm a, I love to do carpentry work. And some of you know what this is. This is a reciprocal saw or reciprocating saw. And uh, I, I, I love this. It's one of my favorite tools to go to. And Larry and I were doing a job the other day. It has a long blade on it. I didn't put any bullets in the gun for right now. But, you know, we were doing some work here the other day outside. And, and here we are with this thing. <laughs> Boy, it does, it, it does good work. You know, just. <laughs> and we were doing all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden, it quit. I looked at it. Trigger works fine. Didn't smell like it got overheated. So then, what I do? I trace down the wire. And what was wrong? It was unplugged. Yeah. It had come unplugged. It, it was working fine. But it came unplugged. This is a great tool. But it only works if it's plugged in, folks. You know, I, I, can, I can work without being plugged in. I can go back and forth like this. and I, Kind of foolish, but I can and that's what a lot of us do, trying to produce fruit in our own lives by our own strength. But what's imperative is to be plugged in. To plug into the source, which is Jesus Christ. Some of you are plugged into Him. And because you're plugged into Him, He's doing some mighty fine work in your lives. He's producing some great fruit in your lives. He's impacting other people. And where you work and where you go to school, you're on fire for the Lord and things are happening there because you're plugged in. Some of you have never plugged into Jesus. And you're about as effective as this is without plugged into a source. Look, folks, this morning, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know what it means to get plugged into Jesus. This is the most important thing that you can do today. Is you can, you can say, how do I get plugged into Jesus? Do I get plugged into Jesus by coming to church? No. Do I get plugged into Jesus by singing songs? No. Do I get plugged into Jesus by giving money to the church? No. All of those things are results of being plugged into Jesus. How do I get plugged into Jesus? You come to Him and you say, Jesus, I confess my sins to You. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've been doing life my own way and it's no more productive than this machine not being plugged into the wall. But right now, I want to be plugged into you. I dare to believe when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was so you could give me your eternal life. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I want to get plugged into you. I want you to come into my heart and be my boss, be my Lord, be my Savior, be the Master of my if you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to do that in just a few moments. Derek and Goody are going to be right down here at the front. And they're going to, they'll be here to show you exactly what to do. But right now, I want, to, I want to ask you to pray with you. And pray that you would ask Jesus to come into your heart. For you to be plugged into Him. Okay? Some of you have already done that. But because of the way you're living and you haven't given up some of the old ways of life, some of the struggles you've had has frayed your wiring and you're not near as productive as you once were. You may want to come to the altar in just a few minutes and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I need you to rework the wiring in my life. I'm not as productive as you want me to be. Some of you may be ready to make a big decision for you to make First Baptist Church your home. 
this is where you, you belong. You want to be a part of this family. In just a few moments, you can come and do that. Or you can just come to the altar here and pray, just like we did over in worship in the hall. Just got a little bit more room to do it. Right now, I want to pray with you because I want to pray about you being plugged into Jesus. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together? Father God, for every one of my friends here today that want to know what it means to have you in their life, to be connected to the vine, to be plugged into Jesus, I pray that they'll pray in their heart with me right now. They don't have to say the words out loud, but they have to say them in the depths of their heart and say, Dear Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I've been doing life my own way, in my own power. And I need you, Jesus. I need you in my life. I dare to believe that when you died, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was to give me your eternal life. So I ask you right now, please come into my heart. I give you my life. I turn away from doing things my own way. I want to do things your way. Come be my Savior. Father, I know in the authority of your word, you've never turned down that prayer. And you're not going to start today. In the next few moments, says, we're led in this song. It's an invitation song. So Lord... It, would you just encourage us? Would you tap us on the shoulder or in the depths of our heart and just say, time to come and pray. Or time to come talk with one of our ministers. Or time to pray that prayer with the pastor. Lord, this is your time. Holy Spirit, do your work. We pray in Christ's name.